Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Hello everyone and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your dungeon master, the king of the boneheads, and your host, Ryan Howard. And today we've got a couple of very special guests on the show, because all guests are special on Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. But no, today we're talking to two guys with a really cool idea about, you know, kind of... A, a different take on an RPG, and that is kind of an RPG subscription where the rule sets are constantly being updated and worked on and tweaked, and there's a lot of kind of, you know, crowd contribution to the system. The uh, The system's called Project Full Blade, and these two guys are uh, Joe and John Page. Uh, you may recognize John Page's name uh, from my show notes because he is the composer of my theme music. And, uh, you know, we had a great conversation around music in RPGs and around uh, this this project that they're doing here, Project Full Blade, their plans for it in the future, and all of that cool stuff. And at the very end, we also had a great conversation about one of my favorite topics that I don't often bring up on the show because, well, let's be honest, it's not always relevant. In fact, it's very rarely relevant to the conversation. Uh, but that being libertarianism, because all of us are in the liberty movement. And, you know, I, it was cool to, to talk to some guys about stuff like that. Uh, I often find myself in the uh, the minority when it comes to uh, you know having the political opinions that I have, and it's it's cool to talk with uh, you know like-minded individuals every now and then. Uh, so you'll have to forgive us that little digression into you know topics that aren't necessarily RPG based. But if you get something out of it, you get something out of it, and uh, you know if you want to talk about that stuff with me, uh, absolutely you can you can hit me up on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. You can send an email to RollinBonesWithRyan at gmail.com. And if you like or dislike anything that you hear, you can always leave a rating and a review on the podcatcher of your choice. All ratings and reviews help people find the show. Uh, so yeah, that's one way that you can uh, help us out here. Uh, before we get into today's interview, though, I just have a quick uh, update on one of the uh, you know projects that We've been uh, kind of supporting here on Rollin' Bones uh, because last week I was able to actually utilize Joshua Cade's dungeon tape for one of my sessions. Uh, so this will be kind of my official review of the product, at least until its uh, Kickstarter campaign is complete. The full product has been released and... You know, we're able to uh, to kind of judge it once it's a full released product. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, you know, the, the packaging here is very cool. The presentation is good. Uh, I've already talked about that a little bit. 
what Joshua sent me was two rolls of tape, one for caves and one for uh, like brick walls, and then a couple of different doorway stickers. And just to, to kind of kick things off uh, with the, the positives, uh, it looked really good on my mat. It made a it made a pretty good map. It worked really well. I made like an arena setup because my Saturday game they're currently in an arena. Uh, they're they're currently going through a tournament arc. I've got a bunch of anime fans in my Saturday group, uh, so I figured I would throw them a bone and give them a good tournament arc. And they seem to be really enjoying themselves with it. So yeah, it seemed it seemed like a good move. And uh, yeah, that's something that they seem to really like. But I was able to make the arena with the dungeon tape, and it looked really good. Uh, it showed up really well on camera, which, given the current circumstances, uh, that's nothing but a good thing. There is one kind of glaring and big problem that I had with uh, Dungeon Tape, though. And I've talked to Joshua about this, and uh, he told me that, yeah, it's a problem, it's unusual, it, it hasn't happened in his experience. I'm willing to chalk it up to some kind of manufacturing issue or, you know, some kind of fluke manufacturing issue with my pr particular tape because Josh has done these tests himself and says that he hasn't gotten any of these same results. But when I put the tape down on my uh, my just standard vinyl Chessex battle mat, uh, it went down fine, it stuck really well, but when I pulled it up, it took the lines off of my map. Now, I don't know if there's a problem with my map. Uh, I've had it for right around a year, and I think those maps are supposed to last a little bit longer than that, so I don't know if it's the map. I don't know if it's the tape, uh, but this tape did end up taking the lines off of my map, so I, I will put that out there just for the sake of honesty. So at this time, I can't fully give a recommendation on whether or not this is a good product that you should be using. Um, I, I want to give Josh another try, maybe with another mat. I don't know. I haven't ordered another mat. Um... So we'll see. I'm also a little bit afraid that if I get a new mat and I put it down and I'm still having the same problems, then I'll have screwed up another mat. Uh, but for the time being, I am 100% confident that Josh is going to work out these issues. Um, I still think you should support his campaign because what he's doing is really cool. It's a cool product. And I'm sure that, you know, if he's working on these issues, if he's, you know, figuring out kind of what went wrong here, uh, he'll be able to resolve them. And if he is able to resolve them, then I can at that point fully recommend this product as a good product because it does what it's supposed to do. Uh, really, the only issue with it is that that you know, bringing up the lines on your mat. So that's that's pretty much my review of Dungeon Tape. Visually, it looks good. There are some problems on the back end, and by that I literally mean the back end of the tape, bringing up your lines on your mat. So I'm going to say wait, wait a little bit. I believe the project is fully funded. Uh, there are still some stretch goals to unlock, though. Uh, so if you're interested in getting some other sets for, you know, the the dungeon tape offerings, then then go ahead and back it. Um, and Josh is a good guy. So I, I fully believe, and he was very responsive when I, I sent him a message when it happened uh, and said, you know, unfortunately, the dungeon tape kind of took up the, the lines on my map, and I'm not sure 
if it's the tape, if it's my map or, or what it is. He's very responsive. He's very apologetic and, you know, said it, that, that didn't happen in any of my tests. Um, you know, we'll have to see what's going on here. So I am confident that Josh will resolve this issue. But until he does, I cannot fully recommend that you use dungeon tape on your battle mats. All right, so that is going to do it for uh, just this little introductory thing here. That's all I really wanted to talk about was to give you guys my thoughts on on using dungeon tape for the first time. And uh, without further ado, let's, of course, get into today's interview with John and Joe Page. I had a great time talking to these guys. I hope you all enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. All right, Boneheads, please welcome to the show uh, two very special guests. They are working together on a new RPG project entitled Project Full Blade. Uh, so first and foremost, ladies and gentlemen, the voice behind The Wraith's Redress, the audio drama that they've put out in preparation for this project, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Joseph Page. How's it going, everybody? And also, ladies and gentlemen, the composer of the music for The Wraith's Redress, as well as the composer of my theme music, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Page. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, Basically, to to get things started off, uh, first and foremost, what's everyone drinking this evening? I have this cheap vodka. (laughs) I am completely out of everything, and I can't get my hands on a bottle. I sound so boring. Polar, uh, polar <laughs> seltzer water, lime. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Going hardcore. <laughs> and I am drinking my Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey. Wow, that sounds delicious. I'm, I'm pretty much just stuck on Makers on the weekend now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one great thing about moving to Nashville is we have uh, not only a great beer scene, but we also have a pretty good whiskey scene as well, so... That's something that we did not have in North Carolina when I lived there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I used to like scotch. I'm just turning on more to bourbon now. So mm-hmm. any kind of bourbon, bullet bourbon. Oh, yeah. I've been doing more Japanese whiskey. Have you guys ever tried that before? I haven't, but I've heard really, really good things. It's it's very similar to Irish whiskey, but it has a lighter taste, but a heavier reaction. It's very hard to explain, but I would definitely recommend trying it. Even a cheap bottle's good. I'll definitely have to give that a try. My wife is not a whiskey drinker at all, but I'll have to see if she'll try some of that with me. To really kick things off, I ask everyone these same questions when they come on the show, uh, just to get a a good idea of where you guys are coming from and the the world of RPGs. So let's start off at the very beginning. How did you guys get into RPGs? I would say I got into it with Final Fantasy IV, which was two on a Super Nintendo. Um, We got that game when I was four years old, and I still carry those memories, and I had to watch John play it. And when he was done, I would get my chance of finally getting it. But the first experience with a more of a tabletop RPG would be the the board game Hero Quest. Um, I forget exactly when we got that, but it was amazing when we did get it. And after that, we eventually advanced to Dragon Strike with that amazing VHS tape. That was kind of the nail in a coffin for me. Yeah, I, I, same answer, really. I mean, uh, I, I'm older, so I got Joe into Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> it was the, the first RPG I ever played. You know, my, if you listen to my music, you can probably pick up on the Uematsu in there. So I'm, I'm sure he made a pretty big influence on me. And, uh, and HeroQuest um, 
before Dungeons and Dragons, that was like the first dark kind of board game I ever saw or played. And I, I was kind of hooked after I played the first time. I, the second time I played, I remember being so excited that I got to play it again. Uh, so when I found, you know, D&D &D, uh, back when I was whatever, <laughs> eight, nine, ten, whatever it was, um, th th that was it. Joe, four years old is a, is a pretty young age for a first uh, JRPG, especially in the in the SNES era. Uh, John, what's the uh, what's the age difference, if you don't mind me asking? I'm four years older. Even then, eight years old. Uh, I I definitely did not have the attention span to play a JRPG when I was eight years old. So I, I used to well either. I used to watch him play. I couldn't even read at the time, but I used to watch him play and just mimic the movements and be able to go. And in Final Fantasy II, there's this part where you have to face Dark Cecil as Paladin Cecil to kind of mm -hmm. fight your, your worst half. And I thought that I was still Dark Cecil. So when I lost, I thought that was the end of the game, that I beat the, the Paladin Cecil <laughs> until I got older. <laughs> yeah, when I was eight years old, let's see, it was... Uh... I think Star Fox 64 was about the, uh, the the most complicated I could get. And then shortly thereafter, I got my PlayStation 2 and uh, probably capped out around Sly Cooper. <laughs> there you go. Not, not taking anything away from Sly Cooper. Great game. Hey, every time it has its purpose, right? Yep, absolutely. So... Of all the games that you guys have played over the years, uh, not counting your own game system that you just created, what would you say is your favorite game system? Uh, I, I guess, you, are you referencing tabletops specifically or just anything? Yep. Yeah, tabletops. It's got to be Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> played so much of it. Yeah, I would probably say second edition leading to three, uh, 3.0 and 3.5, and then probably my favorite game system would be Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. Now, I have... So I've got one 3.5 module that I bought with the intention of running it in 5th edition uh, before I realized that my Saturday group, who I was going to run it for, does not have the kind of attention span for a actual module. They prefer to basically pick their own path, and that is uh, the Red Hand of Doom. Have you guys ever played that one? No, I haven't heard of it, to be honest okay. with you. It's consistently recommended to me as one of the best modules of all time in any edition. Uh, so I got it, again, with the intention of running it in 5th edition, but it just it never materialized. We were pretty lucky. I know we're, we're in you know, all those different um, tabletop RPG groups online, and we try and kind of market that way, too, is one of our strategies. And you know, we see a lot of people struggle to find other people to play with, and we were just very lucky that, you know, I kind of had two phases. One, you know, when Joe was a bit too young, I played with... Uh, couple cousins and some some lifelong family friends so we all, always had full groups and then after after that and i got older and joe started getting in the D and his friends i we i played with them so we i just i was lucky to always have a lot of people to play with that that i knew so you know we all have these characters that that we love and have played multiple you know in, in very long games and, and stuff like that um do you guys remember either your first character or your first memorable character this is John. My first uh, character in Dungeons and Dragons was named Vone, which is the the hero in the Wraither dress. Um, he was a straight up fighter, dual wield bastard swords, and uh, I, I they were both magical. I forgot what the offhand one was, but the, my main one was Vorpal. Mm -hmm. So I know I know that's kind of um, played out at this point. But man, when you have a Vorpal blade and you roll twenty, there's nothing better. Gotcha. And and uh, Joe, what was your uh, your memorable character? 
Uh, I, it's hard to remember. I always change it up when it comes to my playable characters. I, I guess I would say my, um, my soul knife from 3.5. It was a psionic character. I played a moon elf, I believe with that one. I named them Magus with a scythe, just like, uh, ripping off Colonel Trigger. Mm-hmm. But I, I did have a reoccurring character from running tabletop games. I, I'd probably have more of a better memory with that character than any character that I've played. Gotcha. So, I mean, getting into that that character from, from running tabletop RPGs, you know, as DMs, there's a lot of times where when you run multiple games, there's NPCs that seem to find their way into every single game system that you run or every single game. Or even just most games. So what is your forever NPC, Joe? We'll, we'll start with yours. The the one I had, I never gave him a name, and it felt with his, it went with his purpose, but I did have a name for him. His name was Sil. He was a bard, and now in full blade, he's in a visionary. Um, what he did was he used to go around to write tales and, and make them legends. And in order to do that, after he wrote a song and played it for somebody, he would have to reenact it. So he would go to a tavern and talk about this beautiful dancer that everybody wants to sleep with. And then when you finally get a chance to, it's actually so good that you die from it. So this character who never was specified if he's a male or a female would dress himself up as a dancer, sleep with somebody the next morning, they'd be lying dead in bed and and the dancer would be gone. But he had, or he or she had a few different stories that went with this. So it was nice and convenient to kind of throw that person into the world and just cause chaos on his own accord. Over over the course of asking this question, I found there are three categories of forever NPCs. There's the players need a bailout, the players need punishment, or the players need some form of prodding into action. And so it feels like he kind of falls into that third category. Yeah, it's definitely more of a role play one. Yeah, I don't think we ever had a bailout NPC in any of our games. <laughs> we, we would actually reject that. Yeah. <laughs> we would rather die. <laughs> Gotcha. And then, uh, Joe, I'm assuming that w- when you would run games, Vone would would show up in, in some capacity? Actually, no. Vone was exclusive to John, so when he was when he was playing, you know, that was his deal. I never gotcha. kind of wanted to steal that light. And, John, did, did Vone ever make any appearances as an NPC in any games that you ran? No. I, I, him, definitely no. And as far as any reoccurring, I don't think I ever did bring a reoccurring NPC in any of my games. I always tried to make him different and tried to come at it in a you know just come up with something new gotcha yeah i I, same thing with music right uh i used to hang on to like riffs and stuff and be like oh man that's really good and uh you try and make it work it never works so i'm just like you know what i'm just gonna write new if i have a good riff in my head and i forget it oh well (laughs) like i'm not gonna try i I just think always trying to go new is 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 better so as we play the game and as we run the game we end up developing our own unique styles as players and uh, DMs and when it comes to that side of things, how would you guys describe your play styles, both as as GMs and and as players? I guess I would say as a player, I would describe myself as useless because I always try to do the things that you probably shouldn't do. You probably should just make an attack rather than doing something like sunder a weapon or, or trying to trip a four legged creature. But I always wanted to try to do something that's off the cuff that doesn't happen just to bring some excitement to the table. And ninety percent of the time, it failed. Yeah, for me as a player, I, I was all battle. Like I, I, I would always look for how can I make the strongest. Uh, it, I, I always like to try different classes too, so I wasn't stuck in one class. But you know, mages, warriors, thieves with the sneak attack bonus. Like, how can I stack like as much damage as possible to be overpowered? 
<laughs> uh, I know that's that's frowned upon nowadays, but that's the truth. So those of us who spend a lot of time talking about D&D, playing, running games, a lot of us have a lot of really good memories tied up around the table. So guys, what's your fondest RPG memory? You want to start with this one, John? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I, uh, so uh, I guess w- one particular memory... I'm going to cheat here. I'm probably going to throw a few quick ones out. Uh, Vone, I this was later level. I think we brought our brought it to 20 and then multi-class, and that's kind of when the campaign ended. But kind of toward the later levels, I, I beheaded um, a dragon with my Vorpal sword. Um, playing with Joe's character, Magus, was also another one. That wasn't really an instance. That was more of a, just a couple sessions. I, I, I wish we had more sessions with those characters. But I had a, a, like a slim elf uh, thief who used darts and a whip and he wasn't necessarily too overpowered, but uh, we just worked real well together. Like, I would set him up, and he would destroy him. So um, that's about it. Yeah, I think my most fondest memory was running rather than playing. I um, I had a session with a group of, of newcomers that were mixed with the group of veterans that I always played with. And there was this one part in the story where they had to get this. It was a desert crystal to melt this mountain so that they could pass into this area. And on the way, one of the newcomers had it on them, and he rolled a one. And I told him that the crystal fell to the ground, and the ground started to melt, and everything was just sinking into this quicksand. And the caravan caught him, and he went down first, and everybody tried to pull him out but kept failing their checks. So by the time it got to the last person, it was like this whole chain of people being sunken into the ground. And I said, look, you're going to have to roll 20 or else everybody dies. And that person rolled a 20, and everybody (laughs) just gets up and screams, and it's just – that's one of the things that's like, oh, yeah, that's that's going to stick with these guys for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, on Facebook, I mean, I moved from Florida to PA a few years ago, so unfortunately I don't get to spend too much time with those guys. But they have their own group now. I gave them half my stuff when I left, and now they're they're continuing. So they're like my little Pokemon. Yeah, there, there's nothing quite like when you move from one state to another and you leave your, your D&D group behind, and then you connect with them just to see what's going on. Uh, my, my D&D group in Charlotte, the one that I uh, really learned how to play and learned how to GM with, they, they told me that they kind of considered me the glue for the party. I was the one who would make a character who basically was single-minded enough to keep everyone on track. And right. they said as soon as I left in the campaign that they were playing at that point, uh, they almost immediately backed out of a fortress because they had essentially talked themselves into fighting an entire army of orcs that they were woefully ill-prepared for. And then they split the party across two different timelines. <laughs> that's strange. <laughs> but hey, that shows something about your value. You brought a lot to the table. I do like to play characters that are very kind of focused on one thing, and I try to tie in with the world that the GM is creating. And I I try to make my character a character that will drive that plot forward rather than a character who is off trying to do something kind of counter to what the plot is doing, because I find a lot of times as a player when other players do that it it's it's very disruptive geez where were you when i was running because everybody (laughs) i ran with was against the grain they're like oh what's going on yep not anymore (laughs) (laughs) and going back to leaving the the state and leaving some of your your tabletop stuff behind it's like the opposite of a breakup box like when you Mm -hmm. break up with a girl and you have to leave your box and she leaves her box like here's your belongings it's like a treasure it's like Go forth with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. 
Gotcha. Well, unfortunately, we've got to sink the ship a little bit uh, because while we share the table with all kinds of great people, uh, some of them become our best friends in the world, but some of them we just don't quite click with. Some of them are pretty badly behaved, and the worst of these we have this term of that guy for. So, Joe and John, what are your best or worst that guy stories that you're comfortable saying on the air? Mine's quick, so I'll, just, I'll knock mine out. Um, I don't have one. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, play, I play with people that I may not have liked you know, that much, but they didn't ruin the game. So, you know, I, I, I play with people that I probably would not play with again. But as far as that guy, like one where I'm just like, oh, you know, bleep that guy. Not, never, not me. So I guess I'm lucky. I had one where I was sick of running for so long. We decided to post up at our local game store for a DM. We had this guy contact us, and and when we first met, it was great. Everything about it was great. We brought him, we brought him over. We ran a session. It worked out fine. And then he he didn't like our party because we didn't have a cleric. And we're like, well, you know, there's three of us. It was three players and one DM. And we're like, we're just kind of gonna play what we want to play. And he's like, well, I got a I got a cleric friend. And I'm like, nah, I don't I don't want anybody else. I just wanted to keep it just us. And he purposely started to kill our characters constantly, like relentlessly. So I was like, all right. You know, what's going on? And then the next time we went to go play, he's like, oh, I'm coming over. And by the way, I got my cleric friend with me that I was telling you about. And I told him, like, nah, man, I told you no one's coming over but you. You're like, you know, this ain't your house. It's not your table. And just ever since then, me and him were just buttonheads. So (laughs) that was definitely that guy's story. And then he hit me up like a year later after we almost, you know, duped it out. And he's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, who the hell is this? <laughs> he told me his name. I'm like, you know, go bleep yourself. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's like a mafia situation. It's a nice party you got here. Shame <laughs> if something were to happen to you. You need a cleric, huh? Exactly. And my um, my stepbrother that we play with, he always cheats. So when I'm DMing, <laughs> his roles are right in front of me. But in this case, because he was killing our characters, I slipped him a note. I'm like, I want you to cheat. I want you to kill everything he throws at us. <laughs> The only time I gave him permission. Now, is your is your brother in law the guy who shows up to uh, to character creation and is just like, hey, I rolled like four eighteens in a row, man. I swear. <laughs> yeah, no, that's you know everybody's allowed to go home and roll at their own at you know their own time. Not him. He's got to roll right in front of me. <laughs> As a joke, one time I, they sell these massive dice. I bought him a set <laughs> just because he always lies <laughs> at his numbers, and I'm like, nah, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> and he'll purposely buy dice where you cannot read the numbers, and he'll roll it on the other side of the table. No, I rolled an 18, swear to God. Yeah. And he buys those metal dice with the... He did! He had that. <laughs> he did. With the brocade on them. Yeah, those are the worst. <laughs> Shout out to you, Harold. Yeah, that's why, that's why I make everyone either roll at the table or use point buy. I don't think we've ever used point buy. We always rolled... Gotcha. Well, we've got our last introductory question here. Uh, This is one that has stumped many a guest on Rolling Bones. The answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. So if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oof. That's a tough one. (laughs) To be honest with you, not too sure. I guess I would selfishly promote. I would say, why roll 20 when you can roll 100? Because that's the new system that I use in the game that I created. Fair enough. Uh, I'd put my face on a t-shirt. <laughs> Just look in the mirror for a bit. I really wouldn't, but <laughs> I really yes, would. Yes, you would. <laughs> I now, grew up with him. He would. 
Now, Joe, that is actually not the most selfless uh, self-promotion that I've ever – or the most uh, shameless self-promotion that I've ever had on the show because Daniel Fox, the creator of Zweihander, said that he would put play Zweihander, not Warhammer on a t-shirt. Oh, nice. That's a jab. <laughs> you know what, though? If I saw that shirt, I would ask about it. Mm-hmm. I would. Well, Zweihander is the better weapon. Yep. Yep. And that Zweihander – Zweihander is actually a decent uh, – Decent game. I'd I'd love to run it sometime, but now I'm to the point where everyone wants to run D or everyone wants to play D and D, and I'm like, why don't we try Savage Worlds or why don't we try Zweihander? And everyone's just like, I don't want to learn a new system. Savage Worlds <laughs> seems interesting. It's not. It's really not that tough to learn. It's quite no, creative. It, yeah, it seems daunting at first, but once you actually are in it, it's super simple and it's really fast. Yeah, I never got a chance to play it, but I only I only looked at it for a little bit, and it, it is one of the ones I'm curious about. It's kind of sad. I think the best thing about D and D is when you, maybe not when you first get into it, but there's so much content. Like to, to get into something new is like some of the, the my fonder memories of reading into those books. Right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. what else can I find for my character that's different from everybody? So, I, I mean, I, I personally like learning new systems. I think that's kind of part of the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, earlier, Joe, you mentioned psionics and and how much affinity you had for that particular school of magic. So I just have to throw this out there. Uh, based on the, the time frame of D&D that you guys were in, how much Dark Sun was going on at your table? You're going to hate me for this. I've never looked into Dark Sun before. I may have had a few collector cards back in the day with like the Spelljammer sets and the, the Ravenloft, but never looked into it, never played it. Yeah, I, I played Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, Ravenloft, um, probably one or two others, but I've never played Dark Sun. I do, I don't know... Do, do, did you do you know about those cards, Ryan? Like a long time ago, Dungeons and Dragons used to release like cards, and they'd have characters, magical items. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had those spell jammer cards that were freaking awesome, where they had like ships that looked like whales. Miss those mm-hmm. things? Yeah. So I'm I'm friends with these guys who have a podcast called the Vintage RPG Podcast, and they did a whole episode on I think it was the first two series that were I think they were monster manual cards, and so they they were talking about how those uh those cards kind of defined in their minds the the images of of D D monsters so i'm i'm kind of familiar with those sets yeah i think that's why it was so i mean we're finding out now how important imagery is because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's we're kind of adding that as we go and um boy does it make a difference and and those th- like D second edition man nothing beat mm-hmm. that art that was the best yeah, I've I've been lucky enough to actually have Larry Elmore on the show and and talking about just the the visual side of RPGs is something that I really love doing. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a documentary on um, Amazon Prime, I believe, called In the Eye of the Beholder. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it, but I've seen it on Amazon Prime, and I've been meaning to watch it for quite some time. Now. So the first time I watched it, the first twenty minutes is just people talking about how much they love the game. It's like, nah, I don't know, I could deal without. But then it goes directly into the art for about an hour solid. That is valuable. Give it a try. It's amazing. Gotcha. But no, for for Dark Sun, since since you guys you know ha- hadn't actually done a lot of playing, and I I find myself kind of trapped in this bubble where everyone I talk to is just super into Dark Sun. I've had people on who've done work on the setting, but for the most part, Dark Sun was not as popular as a lot of people like to think it was, or maybe think it should have been. But in essence, it is a, a dying Earth apocalypse setting within D&D where magic 
involves pulling life force from the earth, uh, basically to, to use your, your magical powers. And as such, most of the world is just one giant desert and all life has kind of mutated to fit this desolate landscape. And part of that mutation is most everything from humans to the different races to monsters to even some plants have some form of psionic ability. That sounds awesome. Are these new books or you're just you're playing the the original ones that came out? Do they still continue Dark Sun? Uh, so Dark Sun, the last material released for Dark Sun was in fourth edition. There was a ton of stuff in uh, second edition and then some in third. I think they skipped 3.5. They did four. And Dark Sun, it, it fits its name because it's very dark. Uh, it's a very bleak landscape. And there's a little bit of concern that Wizards isn't going to pull the trigger on Dark Sun because of some of the content in it, namely the fact that uh, slavery is very much alive and well in the world of Athos. It's frowned upon uh, from the perspective of the books. Uh, they, In most Dark Sun adventures, you, the players, start out as slaves and have to fight for your freedom. Uh, but I don't think Wizards wants to touch that, and it's really unfortunate because it's an awesome setting. Yeah, I mean, even if it's a dark, touchy subject experiencing that through the tabletop in the comfort of your own home with your friends. It's not, I don't think it's as daunting as, as people may look at it when they first take a glimpse at it. I, I feel like that should be something that's explored at the table. Really? I mean, I know it's up to the group, but that, that is a shame. Well, yeah. And at, at the end of the day, it's a game. Exactly. Yeah. Dark stuff can happen in the game. As long as everyone's cool with it at the table, it's a game. Yeah. You mentioned fourth edition. That That's when I basically quit. <laughs> that, yeah. that that edition was a nail in the coffin for me i was like oh, i'm done with this one yeah same i uh i did not like fourth edition at all I, I bought the fifth edition books and i looked at them a little bit and they seem it seems much better but honestly i haven't played too much of fifth either yeah i'm currently running it in fifth with uh resources that i found online and it, it's certainly a unique experience it's uh something that my players I, I run two games, one on Wednesday, one on Saturdays, and this is my Wednesday group. They None of them had had any real experience with Dark Sun either, and they are loving it. I have to look into it more. Yeah, especially if it's psionics. That should have been up my alley. I just went under my radar. Well, as much as I could talk about Dark Sun for three hours, uh, we are here, of course, to talk about Project Full Blade, the, uh, the game system that, that you guys have released here. So... I guess let's start with that title. Why stick with a title like Project Full Blade? Eventually, I called it Project Full Blade until it was going to be complete, and then I was just going to rename it Full Blade, but I wanted to keep Project in it because of the way that the game developed. It's not necessarily going to be in separate books like most of the RPGs that we have now. I wanted it kind of an unbound tome, something I can always update month by month. So it'll be essentially the base book for free for everybody to use and then as i update it it'll be a subscription basis where it just constantly grows so hopefully you know four or five years down the road if somebody finally takes a look and and picks it up for the first time it's almost like oh it's only a, a, a subscription for all this content and i wanted to try to keep it like that so the value kind of stays minimal now from everything i've seen uh you know we're looking at a a 
you know, a, a fantasy RPG for all intents and purposes. And I know it's more than that, but we have a ton of fantasy RPGs out there. Even discounting the big two of D&D and Pathfinder, there's 13th Age, there's, you know, the, the Savage Worlds fantasy settings, there's all all kinds. So in order to stand out in that crowded market, you have to have some kind of big hook. So what would you guys say is the hook that will draw people in to Project Full Blade? I would say it's, I would definitely preach the mechanics and, and our ideas that are going into it. We're trying to do something completely new and unique. But even that is not a good enough hook. So what John and I came up with is trying to tell a an audio story that takes place in this world to develop the world as this book remains to be constantly updated. So the hook is going to be an audio adventure that kind of fulfills the role play of this, the world. And then once you're involved with it, here's a system to actually be in this world, much like Drist and um, Forgotten Realms. Yeah, and, and the, the, the audio story, Wraith for Dress, is fully scored as well. And um, there's additional songs that I did outside of that. And we make the full musical library available to anybody who subscribes. So it's it's not... And I know music's used with, with quite a bit of uh, tabletop sessions now. Um, you know, maybe some other companies offer music. But this isn't just music that we pay other people for. We produce this ourselves. So this is Project Full Blade exclusive. Now, mechanically, what are we looking at here? I know earlier you mentioned a D100, so I'm guessing this is not just a, a, a D20 or a 5th edition hack. What kind of mechanics are we looking at here? That's a loaded question, so I'll do my best <laughs> because <laughs> there's quite a bit. Um, it is a D100 system. No more accuracy when it comes to rolling to hit. There's no more stats. Um, I'll just start with the battle for now, but for example... You build up your defensive table in percentages, and that represents, let's say, your natural armor, your dodge, your actual armor that covers all around you, your offhand and main hand deflection, and then your magic that surrounds you. Once you roll a D100, you can actually find out what is being hit at that time. Let's say if you roll a 42% on a D100 die, and that lands on your offhand, which is your shield, you know that your shield was just hit. If you happen to have any special abilities where your shield can either counter that hit or do something in addition, you can call it out right then and there. So a lot of things in the game are actually, they take place out of turn. This way, everybody at the table has to be focused on battle at all times rather than just sitting back on their phones for half an hour waiting for their turn to come up. Yeah, I feel like that's that's absolutely crucial to an RPG now because even even in 5th edition where there are reactions that people can take in combat uh, there there is a tendency to especially among kind of the martial classes um, I know because I, I prefer to play martial classes you know you do your thing you take your one to three attacks depending on your level and then you sit back and you stack your dice while the wizard takes 15 minutes to pick his spell yeah, exactly. And a another thing, too, that's much different is when you start your character, you have to pick your character type and your caster type. Everybody in this game benefits off of magic. So a big part of the game is actually building your spell book. So let's just say two, two, of, uh, two players pick the same class, which would be a sellsword. One could be more of an intellectual fighter that kind of offhand casts. And mm -hmm. one can be a straight-up savage where they can use a, a dire weapon larger than themselves, which would be the full blade, let's say, for example. So even if it's two of the same class, they can operate completely different. Gotcha. So when it comes to the classes in this game, 
Uh, you know, I, I'm on your website. I can see some of these class names. You know, besides besides different names, what do you feel like sets apart your classes, and uh, what classes are you guys specifically excited about uh, people being able to explore in in this particular game system? Yeah, Joe, go ahead and take classes, but real quick for caster type, um, sure. just to cover it. The um, not every caster type actually casts spells, so you don't you're not forced into being a spell caster. You're you can pick a caster type that's not spell casting to improve your combat ability. So it, the the overall concept is that magic flows through everybody, and some people can harness it, and some people can't. And as as far as the classes, I mean. To be honest with you, as I'm finishing them up, all of them have a unique aspect that's completely different. Um, for example, I would just say, let's talk about the Wraithsayer. Mm-hmm. Um, for this class, what you do is you actually draw the power from the dead. So you allow yourself to be possessed. And depending on the realm of the afterlife that you choose, you get different perks. And the more that you're possessed, the stronger your character is. But you're always constantly in a mental struggle because these ghosts try to use you as a catalyst for their own intent. So part of it is kind of like um, you have the, the intramortica is your knowledge within the racing. And that kind of comes with re- resurrecting the dead and actually speaking with them and then having your spirit points to bring out a spirit from the realm and actually have them fight alongside you. Gotcha. Well, you've mentioned the Wraithsayer, and of course, uh, with that, you've also mentioned this uh, this audio drama that you guys have put on. So I know that particular class plays a huge role in what happens in this audio drama, The Wraith's Redress. Uh, so so tell us a little bit about this audio drama and, and how it kind of came to be. Want me to take that, I guess? <laughs> uh, go ahead. You start, and then I'll, I'll pick up. <laughs> well... Uh... It really started with me getting back into producing music. I, I stopped for about five, six years, and um, Joe asked me to produce, and not unrelated to this project, produce a, a little song for something he was doing, and I did it, and I was like, oh, man, I miss this. So then we kept talking about Project Full Blade, which he's been creating for quite a while now. <laughs> I don't think we should say how long, but this has been something <laughs> that he's been wanting to do for quite a bit, so yeah. it's, it's nice to see it come to, to reality. But uh, you know, we were just like, well, why don't we just, you know, let's make Vone a main character and it'll make him a racer, and that that was Joe's idea, not mine. And then I said, you know, go ahead and record the audio book, and I'll score it, and then we'll, you know, just see how it comes out. And uh, you know, we were able to produce two hours that that are that are pretty cool and pretty unique listening experience. So yeah, I have heard the audio drama. I, I think it's a really cool product. You know, I, it's it's a really interesting way to kind of sell this RPG. I I mean, like you said, there have been, you know, companies that have put out books in their setting, uh, you know, in in Deadlands. uh, Shane Hensley did a graphic novel. Uh, People have have done all kinds of different things to to get people to pay attention to settings. Uh, But this this kind of audio drama thing is something that I I really think is a a cool idea, especially as, you know, someone who, who makes audio content himself. I really appreciate the the time and effort and uh, creative energy that's that's gone into something like this. Yeah, I think the the plan is what we have right now is we're going to try to release a trilogy a year. But as we grow, we can actually have either the side characters or, or more characters in different parts of the world of Telus kind of have their stories too. So if we have somebody that might want to you know, go in detail or really animate one of their characters, we can prop them up and have all this kind of come together at once. So eventually, hopefully, 
we can have multiple characters with multiple stories being produced on this level. Now, if you guys had to give a, let's say, just a quick plot summary without, you know, digging too much into spoiler territory, what would you say kind of the, the story of this this first audio drama is? How would you summarize that, that plot just to give people an idea of what they'd be uh, heading into? I would say the, the plot is about a wraithsayer named Vone. Um, not all Wraithsayers are eternal, but in his case, he's actually immune to demonic energy, and he has an over-assessive souls of the innocent that were kind of taken prematurely. So since he's he's filled with thousands of souls, he kind of lives forever, and he's completely possessed and guided into f- helping those souls find or the souls find peace. He kind of eventually comes across a conspiracy that he has to really fight his way out of. It's with this roaming military called the sons of anadium they took host at this the main city of the continent of aoleos called zanestra and they helped them win a war so they weren't always negative but as the people of zanestra didn't want to fight their own battles anymore they kind of propped up the sons of anadium to fight for them with money and eventually they kind of consume that whole military and now run the show and now there's all these underground things going on that are bring great evils that the normal people kind of don't see. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and not at all applicable to the world in which we find ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might remind you of somebody. <laughs> gotcha. Well, John, l- lest we leave you out of this conversation, uh, you, you composed all of the music for both the, uh, the you know, Project Full Blade and the Wraith's Redress, uh, and I really do have to give you props for that. All, all of your music sounds amazing. And I don't just say that because I use one of your songs as my theme song. I, I really do love your your music, and I think you've done a, a great job here, especially when it comes to creating music that is tailor-made for an RPG product. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was a, it was a, a fun and long process <laughs> to... <laughs> to really kind of sit there and think, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to kind of piece this all together, uh, you know, technically? And then also just as an artist, too, trying to figure out how to make something that's worth listening to. You know, everybody's time is so valuable to actually have somebody spend it listening to your stuff. It's like, okay, well, I need to try and do something that's good enough to earn somebody's time. So that's kind of the approach I, I took Um it was a lot of hours. Uh, I loved the, every one of them. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun producing music, so um, for me anyway. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's the approach I took. I tried to fit some themes in. So um, there's a lot of main themes throughout the story, but I think the coolest one is uh, Vone has this cloak that he puts on, and the cloak, the name of the cloak is the Wraith. And when he puts it on, he gets some powers that he didn't have before. I won't kind of spoil it for anybody. But there's a few times that he puts it on, and when he puts that on, there's just the real kind of slow, heavy, uh, almost. The whole soundtrack isn't heavy metal, but I wanted to add like metal guitar, not like you know thrash, just like nice chunky long chords, just to kind of fill it out, make it sound a little evil. So there's this theme specifically for a cape, which I think we're the only story to produce an actual theme song for a cape, not even the main character. It's it's cool that you've done this for. You know, this this project, because I found a lot of times, you know, when when I've used music in my RPGs, uh, my, my friend Josh is always good about having uh, Spotify play basically fantasy soundtracks uh, when when we run games at his house. Uh, but I found a lot of times either 
if you're using just kind of generic uh, stock medieval music that you can find on YouTube in three-hour compilations, a lot of times it's kind of boring and generic. It loops a lot. It's a lot of the same stuff. But if you're using kind of more dynamic music from a movie or a video game, the conversation will at some point turn to that movie or video game depending on how iconic that music is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I see people post like, what music can I use? And they're like, oh, use this. I'm like, well, that's good. But I, I think you're right. I've heard a lot of people produce, and I produced a couple like long songs for, for actual game sessions, 20 plus minutes that were more ambience than, than an actual song. Mm-hmm. And those ambience type songs are great uh, for like, the longer parts of the game that are more monotonous before you get into battle, or if you're in a town, you know, kind of gearing up, you know, those songs work for that. But when you get to a part where you need some excitement, it doesn't even have to be a battle. When you get to a, a, a major critical point in the game from a role-playing or battle perspective, you really need to kind of amp it up. And that's that's the, that's the what I, I focus on writing. Like, I write songs. I don't just write, like, ambient music. So I, I want there to be a beginning, even if it's long and drawn out. I want there to be some sort of hook where it kicks in. It's like, okay, this is where you get excited. Um, I want it to kind of be a ride, so it peaks and then it falls and it peaks and then it falls and then maybe I surprise you with something. So I think if if, if people mix it up, um, that's why they should come to us. Uh, we make a, a couple songs available for free, but if you want to mix it up, you can find your ambient song somewhere else. And when you need an awesome battle song, go to Project Full Blade and, and go ahead and get a couple songs for free. Now, just kind of moving back towards the uh, the realm of the, the RPG and, and kind of getting back into the rules. You guys mentioned character creation earlier. Uh, so what is character creation like for Project Full Blade, especially in a system where, like you've said, there aren't stats? So the very first role that takes place, it's called the Iliac System. The Iliac System is actually the name of the solar system that Telus is in, and Telus is the main planet that everybody's on. So what you roll for the first role is what constellation the star of Alnitak was in when you were born. And the second role is a prominent object in the sky. And the last role is actually the orientation of the entire solar system. Each of those roles are a D6, and they actually make up um, over 200 combinations of your starting stats, essentially. And depending on your role, the closer you get to the eclipse, the stronger your starting stats will be. And if you do get an eclipse, you do get a special perk, and there are bad eclipses and good eclipses. So right from the start, we do have a system that is very different. And then you'll roll into the, um, the character types and the caster types with your traits. There is only one race. It's human. But there's so many different combinations. Like I said, everybody's going to be completely different by the time your character's done. Yeah, it is It is interesting. And, and I think kind of a breath, breath of fresh air to, uh, you know, do a, a game system where, okay, you've got one race. So you don't have to spend so much time thinking about, okay, I get this bonus from this race or this bonus from this race. Or I need to really mix it up and let's do this weird race combination with this class combination. It's it's cool that, first of all, you guys have designed all that stuff to be random. And second of all, you don't have to make that pick in the beginning. Exactly. And my favorite race to play is actually dwarves, right? But when you, when you run into another dwarf player that you're not really too familiar with, you kind of realize how many stereotypical stock things that people kind of bring into their dwarf character. And it's mm-hmm. like, well... Are they really like that? You know, are all bards really horny? Are all dwarves hate elves or, <laughs> you know, or, or orcs? And, you know, it's just mm-hmm. I wanted to try to break away from that. I really want you to make your character. 
And unfortunately, I do have to say, yes, all bards are horny, at least all bards at my table. (laughs) (laughs) One of these days, I'm going to get the chance to play a bard, and I'm going to not make that bard horny. There you go. Now now you're not going to be able to stop thinking about a celibate bard. Yep. (laughs) He's a multi-class monk. Crazy. Yep. They'll be reaching for his privates, and he's like, give me that back. <laughs> you don't get that. Yep, the celibate bard. I'll be playing Michael W. Smith. <laughs> gotcha. Well, one thing that I, I really do uh, have some interest in here, uh, you know, with this being kind of an ongoing thing that you guys are constantly building on, uh, I see that you've set up a, a Patreon for this project. Is that primarily how you're going to you know, keep the subscription model type thing going? Yes. So we have different levels of the Patreon. As of right now, you can spend the, um, I believe it's a $2 subscription for the full access to the library music that is available now. The $5 is for the full book, but the base book will be released in June. So after June is when I'm going to start to release the additional material for the full book. So as of right now, it's really just kind of, risk-free you can try it you can see it develop you can kind of grow with it i have all my contact information there if you want to you know give me some feedback and let me know what you think or tell me about some stories that you had in your games um the invoker class actually has built inside of the uh, the scribe scroll ability where the invoker actually creates all the magic that's on telus so every spell that once existed did come from an evoker and they actually share it with everybody else to use so in the Invoker, there is a section there where you can create magic, and we're actually going to try to, you know, hold some fun contests where maybe you can get your spell in there, kind of like becoming Melf and, and creating his Acid Arrow. Well, the last thing I kind of want to talk about tonight is kind of an unusual topic for this show. We don't often bring it up, uh, largely because I, I don't feel like it has much of a place in RPGs, but we all... Were, were connected because I heard your song, uh, Freedom, or the, I, th- I think it's called the, the Fight for Freedom, as uh, the, the opening to uh, Pete Quinone's podcast, Free Man Beyond the Wall, and we are all, of course, members of the Liberty Movement. Yep, absolutely. And that's my beautiful voice screaming that word. <laughs> so, uh, this is a funny story with Pete. So he he's he really is an awesome guy. He he comes off like he's so he's and he's definitely hard. Like I'm not saying he's soft, mm-hmm. but he's a he really is a true gentleman. So we advertised uh, the reason why you heard us because we advertised a Wraith dress on his podcast, um, mm-hmm. like officially. I'm like, dude, let, let me let me do it because you're you know you did a lot for me. So I appreciate what he did by by picking up our song for his podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the first promo that we wrote was so nerdy and he's not a tabletop player so he does it he does the first recording of it and he just sounds like such a nerd I'm like i just want to <laughs> save this i delete i deleted it because i don't i don't want to hold a ransom against him but i'm like you know let us rewrite that for you so we kind of rewrote it so it was less nerdy for him but uh mm-hmm. so that was funny that was hilarious yeah. yeah yeah he read it though he was gonna go with it and i'm like ah i can't do that to you <laughs> let's rewrite yeah. this thing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't listen to his show, uh, Pete Quinones is a uh, he's a Puerto Rican guy from New York originally, and he is one of the most passionate people when it comes to you know liberty and all of that. And he does come off as as pretty hard sometimes. So for him to sound nerdy, I can only imagine what what that first promo must have sounded like. 
Yeah. I wish I, 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 I guess I, sh- I, I, I'm glad I don't still have it, but just to show you, it'd be a good laugh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, um, we are, uh, a, a, li- a couple of Liberty people in the, in the TTRPG movement that, uh, does not seem to be very libertarian. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something I, I notice a lot as with a lot of media, there, there does seem to be a lot of representation from, from one side in particular. And in RPGs in particular, that surprises me because, first of all, for there to be really any political anything going on in RPGs, no matter the the political leanings of the book you're reading from or the you know the people who made that book, at your table it doesn't really matter because it's your table and you do whatever you want and no one can take that from you. But when it comes to just the concept of the RPG character, as it's played out in basically every RPG, you are essentially the ultimate free market agent. You're Pretty much every single RPG character is taking human action, to borrow a term. They're definitely not following the non-aggression principle, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that depends on the player. Yeah. <laughs> uh. But I, I do understand what you're saying. For for example, I did come across one book I was reading where they had it hard-coded into the game. It was called an X card to where when the DM was telling their story, if any of the player felt uncomfortable with what he was saying at any time, they could flip their X card and the DM has to change paths on the fly. And um, I, I kind of understand that in a way, but really when it comes to the experience of telling a story and playing a story out, you do have to let it be free. Um, I do have one memory, for example, where, I mean, I, I won't say it on the show too much, but I mean, there's really one way to get a half work, right? So yeah. I ran this character and there was a town that was, everybody was getting kidnapped and killed or, or taken by these orcs. And that the half work player actually rose up to the challenge and started to kill these orcs. And in the middle of them uh, fighting, I had the main orc look at him and say, you know, I brought you here. I gave you this. And it actually took the, the, the actual player, my, my buddy, it took him back a second. He didn't know what to say because I put him in a situation where it's like he, somebody kidnapped his mother, wronged her. He was born and now he's fighting against it. But really, he's fighting against how he exists. And something like that really kind of only shows through these fantasy games. And I don't think that should be limited. Yeah, there's a similar thing happening in my my Dark Sun game. We have a player who, he's playing a half-breed character, and that crossbreeding came about through rather violent means, and uh, his character's now being confronted by that. But when it comes to the X card, I've got really two problems with that. First and foremost, any discussion of, you know, there's going to be this kind of content in the game, this is the tone that I'm going for, that's supposed to happen in Session Zero, that's supposed to be hashed out before gameplay even starts. And that concept is basically giving the players free reign to disrupt the flow of the game and to create conflict at the table. Yeah, exactly. I mean, being a DM, it's it, I know a lot of it's on the fly and a lot of DMs pride themselves if I can do this on the fly. But even on the fly takes a lot of preparation. So mm-hmm. it, is, it, it is very disruptive when something like that would happen. I, I, here's my problem with the X card. If if you're playing with a legitimate jerk, which I would not, I would not pull an X card. I would get up and get my dice and say, I'm out of here. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> like, 
if you're playing with a, with somebody who's really trying to be a jerk and and get to you, then leave. Uh, you know, even and, and that's that's anybody from any political backing. You know, libertarians uh, not excluded because you know we're jerks too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, yes. If you're playing with a jerk, leave. And if and if he's not a jerk, and you know, if you are a lefty and and you get triggered over stuff, which I don't think you should, but if that's that's what you are, you know, just realize he wasn't being a jerk. Don't pull your record. the X card's not needed. Yeah, yeah. Don't create conflict where no conflict is. Yeah, it should be free and open, but you know, it should be toward the group. And it and it is a game, and it is about fun. So it really, you know, it's. It's tough to put into words. It's more of an experience. We're all nerds. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And and ultimately, at the end of the day, that's why, you know, politics is discussed before the game, after the game. Uh, I'm usually the, actually, always the only person with my view on, on the way issues should go in both of my groups. Uh, but... Once the game starts, those those political things, you know, kind of go out the door. And I I'm very big on things like that going out the door. And if if it gets out of hand and, and you know, people start going on political rants and stuff like that during the game, I'll typically pull it back and say, all right, all right, you know, this isn't this isn't Earth. This is, you know, this is Dark Sun. Or this is, you know, the the world that I'm running on Saturdays. You know, that person doesn't exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and you know, if if, it, if you're talking like in game politics that add to the story, the, who mm-hmm. who cares what it is? They're trying to. Right. They're using that to try drive the story. So just like you know, just let yourself get escape to a different world where you know your politics don't matter and you're in this completely fantasy world and and you're going through this other political situation. You know, play it differently. That's part of role playing. <laughs> yes. So. And ultimately, and this is something that separates us from, in a lot of ways, both sides, but ultimately not all things are political. So, you know, you don't have to make your RPGs political. They can just be fun. That's what they should be, yeah. They should just yeah. be fantasy. Yeah. 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 Same thing it's, with comic books and movies. It's a thought experiment. So if you're not thinking outside of what is known, you're not doing it right. I think people are just tired of being lectured to. Every minute yeah. of every day. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, yep. of, of all places from their entertainment sources. Guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Um, what I'd like to do at the end of all my episodes is just turn everything over to the guests. Anything that you guys have to promote. You know, I know you got Patreon. You've got a, uh, a sequel to Wraith's Redress coming up. Anything you guys want to promote, go ahead. It is your time. Go ahead, John. Did you want to start? You know, yeah, I can start. So, um, uh projectfullblade.com is a website uh the base book should be completely done made available for free on the website by june you can go on there now and make character though that section is is completed you go on there and make character um the wraith for dress is on the website for free it's three episodes with a total runtime of two hours uh check it out uh you may like it you may not but it really is unlike anything you've ever heard before um i can tell you that much and, uh, you know, we have some music on the website. We have the Patreon. The Patreon does house all, the full musical library, which is not made available for free. But that's pretty much in the Patreon right now. So if, if you join the Patreon, it would be, it would be just kind of support us. Before you do that, you know, go to the website. Read the book, make character. If you really like it, hop in, support us. People who hop in early uh, will be locked in at a reduced rate because it will eventually go up once we hit a certain number of subscribers. So if you want to get in early, uh, do that. 
the Facebook group, uh, Project Full Blade. Uh, if you want to be a uh, part of the discussion, join there. And we really do plan on looking at all the fans' uh, feedback very carefully and, and incorporating them into the story when needed. And, you know, if, if we actually take direct feedback and put it in the book, we wouldn't do that without permission. And we would reach out to that person and obviously fully credit them in the book. So uh, we're really trying to make it a, a community type game that, that grows with everybody. Yeah, exactly. It's not, even though we're the creators of it, we want to make it a world where everybody's kind of involved in one way or another. So really, if you want to be a part of it, let's just become one big family and we'll figure it out together. Yeah, technically, Joe is the creator. I'm more of just like an editor. <laughs> but Joe created the game. All right. Well, guys, once again, thanks for agreeing to be on the show. Uh, this was a great episode, and I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. Uh, next week, guys, this is hot off the presses. Uh, just found out about this a couple days ago. But with the recent launch of the Deadlands The Weird West Kickstarter, uh, I am bringing on the show next week, again, the returning Shane Lacey Hensley, the creator of Savage Worlds, the creator of Deadlands, to talk all things Deadlands The Weird West. And then at the end, I'm going to see if I can talk him into a little bit of Dark Sun talk. But mostly, Deadlands The Weird West. Uh, so until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20... I am so glad that you rolled bones with me, Ryan Howard. I'll see you next time, and in the Fed.